Hello, 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 everyone. Thank you for hitting that play button for another episode of the Hetty Coleman Podcast, where I sit down with fabulous people to have go-win conversations. And today, today, ladies and gentlemen, I have the one and only, the one and only, Tony Foster Jr. <laughs> What's happening, man? Huh, come on. Yeah, now, now, Tony, how, when did we first meet? Me and you had to have first, we had to have first been acquainted at, at, at one of the several events. And, I and you know, it was like, bro, it was like three weekends in a row I would see you somewhere. Uh-huh. And so I don't know if it was at a Creative Mornings or if it was at a JB Likes Food or if it was at, I know I know uh, when Hope Culture did their launch, I saw you there too. Yeah. Like it was all within the same like month. You know, two or three week period. So one of those times, man, you was greeting with a smiling face. I said, Who is this brother? Man, I keep seeing him. I need to know who this is, man. <laughs> yeah, and we want to be clear. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't invited to the the party. Like Tony was invited to the party. I was greeting. I was outside the doors, loving on folks. Right. You had like, a more important role for show. <laughs> Yeah. That was not where I was going with yeah. that. You, you were you were the greatest among us in those in those times. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, yeah. And so you know, the one of the reasons that I greet and the reason I brought that up was because I I thought it was through me greeting at events the way that mm-hmm. I did. I love to meet people, and once I meet people, I love to try to connect people. Once I figure out their strengths or talents and things like that, and one of the easiest ways to get to a, an event. Mm-hmm. It's just by saying, hey, you want me to come and greet at your event? People oh, yeah. are like, what? Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. You want to greet? Yeah. I yeah. come greet at your event. And from it, like, I always tell people, they'd be like, how'd you meet? That? I was like, I think I met that person through greeting. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. So I met you and your beautiful wife. You want to go ahead and introduce your wife? Yeah. Who's yeah. in the room with us? If, yes. If you're listening to audio and video, you can't see her either. She's right over there. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's Jackie Joe. Um my right hand. So, I mean, she's the one that knows about these events. She's the cool one. Like, if I'm ever anywhere cool, it's because somebody invited her and I got to come. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. that was probably the case for all of those events <laughs> <laughs> back at that time, man. For she's sure. She's been plugging me in ever since we met. So, that's exciting. We got to help people like that who know how to plug us into things, especially oh, yeah. when we got dreams and goals and, and want to accomplish things. Because it's for me, I always tell people it's all about relationships. If there's anything I want to be rich in, it's I want to be rich in relationships mm. so yeah. um with that being said let, let's talk about if, if, if people came into the room today who knew you as a child and i said man tell me about tony as a kid what, what was he like what would they say about you who it depends on <laughs> depends on who you <laughs> would was <laughs> but um man I, I would honestly say that the commonality among people who knew me as a, as a child was that i was very observant um man like i like had a knack for really taking in information, whether it was the things I would hear. Um, Like when I was young, I used to love mimicking things and trying to like do impressions and imitations. Um, And then also just, man, I just was always paying attention to, to my surroundings and just trying to see what was what. And so one thing I can remember like really early is like my dad, when me, my dad and my brother would, be in the car, uh, we'd leave a place, like say we were leaving church, and he'd say, all right, it's it's, it's 1.35 right now. What time do you think it'll be by the, you know, when we get home? And we'd take bets, you know, I'd be like, uh, 1.37. My brother would be like, 1.36. 
He's like, all right, I'm going to go 138. <laughs> you know, so we would just like, I would always be paying attention to how long it took to get places and which direction we go. And I'd be thinking, man, I'd be, we, we should have gone this way. And that has followed me well into my adulthood because everywhere I go, man, like even if I, if I go visit a new city, the first thing I want to do is like look at a map mm. and see like which direction are we staying in, what's nearby, like what's close by. So... I mean, that's just always kind of been how I was, you know, yeah. as a kid, just paying attention to um, what was going on and just seeing seeing what's around me. Now, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Oklahoma City. Okay. Okay. Where'd you go yeah. to high school? I went to a class in SAS. Oh, got you. Okay. Uh -huh. So so can we talk about transition? I love to get transition. So I love to find out what kids people were like as kids that love to get transition. And so mm -hmm. can we talk about, because class in SSA it was sixth grade, right? When you go into yeah, that? So SAS is sixth through twelfth grade. Sixth through twelfth. So was there there's no real transition of middle school to high school for you? Uh I mean, actually there there really was simply because, you know, like you declare a major at class and then so from sixth grade all the way through twelfth, you've got like a curriculum or like a practicum. So for me I was a vocal music major, so there were choirs, you know, we mm -hmm. were in show choir, boys choir. Um, and then, so like in middle school, everything was pretty well separated on the music side, different wings of the building. And so I was able to really just like thrive in kind of a middle school setting. Um, but when, when high school came, gosh, I mean, I, I grew, you know, four inches over the summer and football coaches trying so to figure this, out from from like eighth to ninth to what, what yeah. was the okay from eighth yeah. to ninth grade right. you you shot up a little yeah, bit from, okay from eighth to ninth I mean I was kind of a chubby middle schooler and I kind of grew into like a a, a, a rectangle shaped young man yeah. <laughs> so yeah you know guys are looking at me like man you might need to go push something down yeah you might need to go try and drive a sled somewhere so um, but yeah, just, I mean, we didn't have a football team, so we played at Northeast Academy. Okay. And so, gosh, from eighth grade, I didn't play any football, um, to ninth grade playing, not only playing varsity football, but playing at a totally different school than where I went. You know, I took the bus, uh, to it, like to practice every day after school. And it was kind of, I wouldn't say hard, but it was different, like gelling with the other players. Cause they all had classes together and went to school together. Um, but I was kind of on the outside looking in and. I mean, I was I was big and, you know, I, I was a fast learner, so I got on the field pretty quick. And, uh, man, one thing I can remember is uh, <laughs> they had a pep rally for, like, homecoming, right? And there, we decided, me and the two other players that went to class and but played for Northeast, decided we'll go to the pep rally, you know, be with the team, you know, <laughs> have, a good, have a good day with the team. And, uh, man, I get in the gym. And, you know, everybody's out of class. They're all at the pep rally. Yeah. Right? And they're announcing, all right, here are the starters for, you know, Northeast Vikings. Everybody's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, number uh, 70. He's a sophomore. You know, Roderick Thomas. Everybody's like, yeah. It's like, senior. Uh, you know, VR Ortiz. Yeah. Anthony Walker. Yeah. And they're like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Foster. <laughs> The whole the whole auditorium was just like, who? <laughs> I was like, all right, y'all. Hey, yeah. In what grade were you? Ninth. Ninth. <laughs> that is not a good oh, look for a freshman. Oh, no, nah. nah, your boy was out there like, hey, everybody. Foster here. Yeah, yeah. The like, I feel like the head coach didn't even know my name. Yeah. He was just like, ah, 
uh, what, what, uh, I know his name. I can't think. Yeah. Uh, Foster. I was yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Everybody got these crazy glowing intros and <laughs> yours was <laughs> like, it's like, what's his name? Uh, Foster. So, I mean, just like going from middle school, being kind of relatively quiet and just being able to be to myself. Yeah. And then high school, like I'm playing varsity football. We had a, a workshop over the summer, like a gospel music workshop. So all the singers in the city, you know, were all at this workshop. And I got a solo at that workshop. And so I remember being in the lunch line, like one of the first days of school, and a couple of like the older, like upperclassmen girls that were there, they were like, that's him right there. I was like, oh, yeah, you was the one that was at the workshop. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so they was like, you about to join the gospel choir. You about to, we about oh, to get nice. you all the way nice. locked in. Yeah. So. I mean, that was kind of a, a, a big like moment of just like realizing, okay, so I can't I can't like have these gifts and have these talents and kind of hide under a rock. Mm. Like people are gonna draw them out and yeah. they're gonna wanna see them. And so I kinda adopted that attitude, I mean, throughout high school and just knew like and just knew like, you know, it's up to me to uh to lead. You know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna um do it if I don't do it. Yeah. And so I just kinda accepted that role of of just being, you know, the the pioneer, the first person to figure something out or to yeah. do something or to ask this question. Yeah. And I kind of just, I enjoyed being that. that. So that kind of took you into, into leadership then. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, Brene Brown talks about leadership being uh, a person who, who takes on responsibility where, and I always say this, so I'm more, I'm more lean towards uh, John Maxwell who says leadership is about influence, right? Yeah. And sure. a, a couple of different things, but I've, I've I would agree with both to mm -hmm. a, to because um, but you said hey I see some responsibility I want to take ownership of that yeah and, and do it well and you saw that in high school what was the transition out of high school like for you did you go to college what was that yeah I I ended up uh, getting a scholarship a music scholarship to go to OU and I mean my junior senior years um, it was me my dad and my brother and uh, he was single father and his time was pretty well you know, extended and stretched and his health was kind of becoming an issue. So he was kind of, a lot, he was a lot less active. Like we, we, we couldn't do much unless we found a way to get it done. So if I wanted to play football, I had to get a ride to and from practice. Like if I wanted to have money, I had to get a job and I had to figure out how I was going to get to and from work. Um, like we lived uh, off 122nd and Penn in that big, it's like a big cluster of oh yeah yeah really hood apartments. Yeah, yeah. 122nd and Penn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially yeah. back uh -huh. then, early 2000s. I lived in man. Rain Dance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I lived in Rain Dance in 1990 something. Yeah. <laughs> By the time uh, oh, 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 0-2 to about oh five oh six. He said it was not the same. Oh man, I, man. I mean, good lord. But um, but so like I would walk to and from work because the we I worked at the Gordman's by Quail Springs Mall and and so you know I had to I had to get a bank account if I wanted to deposit my check yeah you know I had to go to U.S. Cellular when I turned eighteen and get a cell phone yeah um, I had to find a ride to my audition for college and so I had kind of grown accustomed to like figuring out ways to get stuff done um, without having to ask for help. And so, I mean, I feel like that period just kind of, it kind of, you know, worked its way into my natural way of doing things. 
Um, because the day that I the day that I moved in on campus, um, my dad had suffered a stroke about a week and a half before then. And so the day that I moved in on campus, he went in for surgery and he passed away during that surgery. Wow. And so um like he he was he was our parent at home. And so I literally quite literally like closed the book on, you know, my my adolescence, my youth, and then opened the book of adulthood, mm. you know, in, in a day, in a day, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was really wild. I mean, but you had already been like preparing yourself right. for that moment. Like when right. I listen to the things that you just talked mm-hmm. about leading up to that day, God was already kind of shaping you. for oh, those. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and now that I hear you say these things, now <laughs> I can see the type A had right. to be, mm-hmm. you know, that that I'm gonna take responsibility because if not, you you just you miss it. You yeah, missing it all. Yeah, watching yeah. everybody else do yeah. it. And, I mean, I got I got tired of watching people do stuff mm-hmm. and feeling like now I want to do that too. So I just I had to just figure out how to get it done. And so um, now here, here's a crazy question. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. let's put and hopefully we can come back. Sometimes you start a conversation, but I want to <laughs> ask is this because you're an observant person, right? You yeah. observe. Did you recognize any difference between the kids that you saw with single moms versus you having a single dad? Oh yeah. You know, like what what was something that you may have recognized? Like, man, like, that's a single mom guy. I'm a single. Well, I mean, all of my best friends in high school. I mean, my boy Michael Preston, single mom. My boy Cameron Lee, single mom. Jordan Williams, he was adopted, single mom. Uh, adopted single mom. He was adopted and his mom was single. Gotcha. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, yeah. And uh, my boy Tristan, um, single mom as well. It's funny because the five of us decided, well, Cameron wasn't there, but the four of us, me, Jordan, Tristan, and Michael, decided our senior year, we wanted to go on like a spring break trip. And so all of all of their parents were like, heck no. <laughs> Just all their moms. <laughs> Yeah, we want, we were like we want to go to South Padre. Yes, we want to go to Padre. We want to make that fourteen hour drive. Yeah, right? man. We wanted to we wanted to do it. And so my dad was, was like, like, yeah. He was like, he was like, let him do it. <laughs> yeah. Let him see. And man, we took the Greyhound bus. I mean, it was a twenty four hour bus ride, bro. We 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 did that all wrong. <laughs> like he was like, oh y'all gonna ride the bus? Oh okay, cool. Yeah, y'all got a hotel. Y'all got it all planned out, huh? Okay. Have fun, and he convinced all of all of their moms to let us go. And I mean, like we learned, <laughs> we learned some valuable lessons yeah. on that trip. And uh, it's like, would you do it again? Uh, at that age, I mean, I I definitely would have like figured out travel a little bit more because the that day long bus ride, man. Like yeah. we had a five hour layover in Dallas, a six hour layover in Houston. Yeah. We at one point I looked up and I saw nothing but my my Mexican homies all around and I was like, "Are we still in the states? Are we?" I was looking out the window like, I was like, "Yo, <laughs> bro, I thought we was on the way to. I thought we, yo, I I was like the driver is even." I don't even know if anybody uh, speak English on this. Yeah, and I was I was just like, man. But then we got where we were supposed to go, and I was like, okay, cool, all right. Once you got there, right, <laughs> you made it. <laughs> right. You 
You recognize you're still in the state. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. Not to say that things would have not been okay anyway, right? I mean, but, I don't know. Like, once you're there, did y'all enjoy yourself? Like, did you kick Oh, yeah, it? we yeah, did. Yeah. We yeah. we did. We. I mean, I was still 17, so I wasn't old enough to get into any club. But there was still, like, this huge, like, oh, beach yeah. line and so many activities. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. it was it was made for college kids for sure. But we got we thought we were ready to hang out with college kids. We were not ready. We were not prepared. We were like, "Oh, okay, let's let's not do that." <laughs> oh, I ain't know let's about all mess, that. Let's not mess around with that. I didn't know y'all was well. Thankfully though, <laughs> right. thankfully though that you you had that mindset mm-hmm. to like, okay, we're not going there. Oh man, because I would have went there. Like we, <laughs> you would have. Oh, we, no, I went. <laughs> yeah, you would have seen what was going on. I was, uh, I was up in there. Oh, I was. Yeah. I started going to clubs when I was fourteen, though. Really? Yeah, I was fourteen yeah. years of age. So yeah, they didn't. Have I was going to OU parties at fourteen. Yeah, I was wild. <laughs> So yeah, we we took a road trip to to uh, Florida when we were so yeah. was, I was a different. But yeah. I so here's the thing though, I had a mom, but my I was single mom. I mean, my mom was single parent, and uh, but my mom was more like a dad. Like yeah, my friends who had dads, there was like in the home with mm-hmm. just dad. That, do what you want. It was almost right. like do what you want to do, but I'm gonna beat you or kill right. you if it right. if it crosses this right. line, right? <laughs> Pretty my much. mom was more like that. Like, yeah. go do what you want to do. Yeah, go go bump learn. Your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, go right yeah. ahead. Yeah, by all means, go right ahead. So, your dad passed away first day of school. You get this this major hard transition into life. Yeah, but you had been learning things, mm-hmm. you know, up until this point. <clears throat> what happens after that? Uh, college, I mean, I studied music for about two and a half years and, um, you know, I, I mean, they didn't really have a program for the kind of music that I wanted to do. So it was really just work. I mean, it was like, you know, like, uh, singing Italian arias and learning different languages. And I just wasn't really, you know, interested when I realized so the next thing, the natural progression of this is you do vocal performance and then you either go teach music or you go join an opera somewhere. You go throw yourself in this like ultra competitive field to perhaps not get chosen for any auditions. And I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I do not want to sing yeah. opera. So I had a, uh, I had a, I finally got a black voice teacher, um, Donna Cox. And um, she was like, hey, uh, do you do you want to do this? I was like, you know what? You're the first person to ask me this. No, <laughs> don't. She was like, well then, change your major. Like, do what you do what you want to do. Like, do something you want to do. And I was like, well, but the way this uh, scholarship is set up, I got to go ahead and make sure I get it paid for. Mm-hmm. And she was like, all right. So we found some other music programs. It was like a music technology program, and I just did enough of the music work to keep my scholarship for as long as I could. And then um, I went into journalism. So journalism was what I actually got my degree in. And so, gosh, it was it was like I got to my dad was a news reporter and throughout um, my youth and throughout my adolescence, he was in the newsroom. And so I had built a lot of cool relationships with, you know, all of the the Oklahoma uh, all all of the uh, the major anchors on all the networks like they've known me since I was like a kid, mm-hmm. and so um, getting to study that was cool and getting to learn kind of the process behind 
um, you know, writing news and writing stories and telling stories, really. Um, and I got to be the, the sports anchor for like OU Nightly and got to read scripts and get my Stuart Scott on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, college was, was definitely a highlight for me. Uh, just got to meet so many people and hear so many stories yeah. and, and just connect with so many good people that I'm still friends with to this day. Just a lot of relationships where I don't have to talk to you very often, but you know, when we catch up, it's, yeah. it's a great, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd say that was probably, you know, the story of like immediately after college and, and, and being an adult, it's kind of, kind of how that transpired. And, um, I had the opportunity right out of college to, um, to be a songwriter. So I was, um, I was signed as a songwriter through this, uh, this kind of this smaller label that was run by a good friend of mine. His name is Young Fire. He's a producer. And so wherever he went, we got to go. And so he ended up getting a, a record, uh, a, a production deal with Universal. And so he was like T-Pain's producer for like three or four years. And so I, I would get to go to Atlanta. And when I go to Atlanta, I'd stay at Young Fire's house, but I'd take his other car. And I would, bro, I would drive to T-Pain's house, bro, and hit the buzzer. And his security would be like, what's up? Be like, hey, this is Tony. I got a session today. You know, the gate opens and I drive like a quarter mile down this road. And then there's a giant like mansion. And I'm just like, I'm at T-Pain's house. This That's is cool. wild. And so he had his own, he had his studio, like, kind of in his basement. And, and what year was this? Oh, this was, like, had to be, like, 2011, oh, okay. 2010, 2011. So by this time, it's, like, T-Pain T kind of had his early. This was, like, right, this was, like, probably the, the pinnacle of T-Pain's popularity at this okay. point. Okay, okay. And so he was preparing another album. Uh, called Revolver during that time period, but I wasn't writing anything for him. I was just writing yes, songs. Got you. So I got to, you know, there was an engineer that his job was just to be there whenever somebody was supposed to be there. And I mean, bro, I'm talking about like giant, like arcade, pool tables, like this giant, like basement bar. There's like a really cool, like pool outside. And like on this random table, there's like a stack of like unopened iPads. And I'm like, what is going on here, man? This is just different kind is, of life. This is insane. Yeah, it's different kind of life, right? Yeah. So, so would T Pain be there, or was he ever there? There was or? a couple of times where he was. I mean, he walked by me. He was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" I was like, "What's up, man?" He's like, uh, "You that brother from the the blind side, ain't you?" I was like, "What?" He's like, "No, nah, I'm just playing with you." I was like, "All right, man." He's like, "Good to meet you." So he was just really. He always had like kind of like vibrant, goofy energy about yeah, him. Yeah. And so I got to meet him like one time and there were a couple of times where he hosted events that we were there for. Gotcha. And so it was just surreal, man. It was just like. Did you love Atlanta? Atlanta was big at the time, like super, I mean, it's still big. But for me, it was the first place that like never ended. Like yeah. it feels like Atlanta never That's ends. Good, yeah, yeah. You get to the airport, you driving, Atlanta's still happening. You're 20 miles out, Atlanta is still full <laughs> on blast. You get all the way, you know, 40 miles out, and you just now uh, yeah. getting to where it's not quite Atlanta anymore. And I was just like, ah, this place is huge. Yeah. Atlanta's, um, a, Atlanta's amazing. Just the, all the corporations that are there. Yeah. Just, you know, 
uh, we started going there in in the early '90s when like Freaknik and all mm-hmm. these different kind of things were still in existence, and uh, and then my family would go. We we still go there probably once a year or whatever. But yeah, it's just a real cool. Like it's, I would never yeah, live there, it's but it's cool. Yeah, it's a really great people. City. People people in Oklahoma like to hate on Waffle House, and I get it why they do. But I'm like, you've never been to a Waffle House yeah. in, in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Where you would, in, it's the thing, like. In Marietta yeah, or like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm like, oh, this is this is what they talking about. For sure, for like, sure. So from that experience, what, what did you walk away with that you feel like has kind of helped move you forward? Was there anything oh, that man. stood out to you? Yeah, that- I, I would say just knowing how to be in spaces and you're not the focal point, like. I mean, I'm I'm in the studio with like, I mean, with working with Fire, like, I mean, I've it's the the number of people that he's done tracks for, like, it's been important for me to know what my role is mm. and to and to um, execute that role in a professional way. So I I've had experiences um, that are unique to me, without having to like go be immersed in a different city or a different culture, a different space. So I've been able to utilize what I know about, um, you know, certain things like studio sessions or songwriting or just being able to be even keel about processes. Um, So I can, I can know the difference between a really, really good opportunity and something that just sounds like a good opportunity. Um, And so, um, and I've got just a wealth of understanding um, you know, from, from just like being a fly on the wall mm-hmm. and hearing stories and watching stuff play out. Um, and so I've just, I've, I've been the beneficiary of really just being like I am, like being a fly on the wall and yeah. observing and yeah. figuring out what's going on around me and asking questions when the time is appropriate. Um, and so, man, that's, that's, that's been, that's been something that's invaluable um, I carry that with me now as I handle business and as I work on things and it just makes it so much easier to have a solid perspective on what's actually happening and just not to get too emotional one way or the other about, you know, wins and losses, you know, yeah. things that materialize, things that don't materialize. It just, I'm just like, all right, well, we got, what's next? Yep. What, what do we got going on next? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Being being in the being in Atlanta and kind of experiencing that and understanding the work that you do now, mm-hmm. like to go from that place that never ends, all this energy, <laughs> yeah. all these creative minds, you would think endless opportunities to come back to Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, was that hard for you? And then, do you still have that like I know what it's like in Atlanta kind of attitude sometimes? Well, Oklahoma Oklahoma is just a different market. Um. Atlanta, the the people in Atlanta, they understand the environment. They understand how to, um, they understand what type of culture they have that's unique to the world, and they celebrate it. Um, there, there's a lot more. Um, there's a lot better understanding of the structure of their market. Um, people can mobilize and they can get things done. Um, there are some mega voices like. Um, of all different types, you know, like musical voices, political voices. Um, I mean, just corporate. athletes, yeah. corporate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you name it. Yeah. They all it's know all there. They all know what their power is and they understand what type of uh, influence they can have on that culture. 
Um, I would say the culture in Oklahoma um, is a lot more just narrow simply because there's a lot less people. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot less things um, that take place in this particular part of the country that just aren't, you know, relative. You're not in proximity to the same kinds of places, the same types of things. So um, just the perspective on what music is or what professional um, recording is, a lot of people just haven't experienced that in the same way. So um, I just, I, I feel like a lot of people um, that I'm friends with, they begrudgingly go elsewhere and they say, well, Oklahoma doesn't have it. So I got to go to, yeah, got to go here, got to go there, got to go everywhere. Got to go to LA, got to go to Dallas. But I look at it and I'm like, man, this is like a empty, barren land yeah. where we can come create that. We can make that happen here. Uh, they, I mean, there's nothing unique about what goes on in Atlanta that we couldn't make happen in Oklahoma. It's just a matter of building the infrastructure. It's a matter of um, really training the culture or getting influence um, from other places. Like when the thunder came, we didn't know how to be an NBA city, but we figured it out. Yeah, we 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 jumped on board and yeah. uh, and we learned how to make that happen. And so I just look at. Oklahoma and I see all this opportunity to do that <clears throat> and a lot of a lot of companies places brands they're seeing that and they're coming to Oklahoma to 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 really stretch because there's room yeah and they're really trying to figure out how to make stuff happen so that's where I'm at that's why yeah. I like it's important to me to stay planted here I mean I can go anywhere and do anything but at the end of the day like I'm not gonna relocate unless my relocation is more impactful, you know, for the east side of Oklahoma City than it would be for me to be, you know, like I think about athletes who benefit from playing college, you know, out of state. Yeah. They just go and they dig in to the college like atmosphere and they dig into their craft or they play good ball and then they go to the league and then they bring the resources back to the city and and you've seen countless times where athletes are they stay too close. And there's too many of the same influences, too many of the same people um, trying to figure out how to, you know, how to be a part of it that don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside of that, though, like this is this is where I want to be. And I, I genuinely see um, so much development, so much growth happening uh, in Oklahoma. And it's beautiful to just watch the seeds get planted yeah. and to really just be part of you know, the group of individuals that are helping water those seeds, yeah. man. It's like, it's just insane to to see the prospects and to see stuff happen and people yeah. come and know what's going to happen before everybody else does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, man. that's cool. That's cool. Now, journalism was your degree. Mm-hmm. Currently not doing journalism. Not professionally. Not professionally, but <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you, so you've taken that and kind of have molded it in a way that's probably not traditionally journalism, right? Right. Uh, I had the opportunity after after college and after that experience to um, work for a few companies and <clears throat> do a lot of different things. I mean, I've done branding, I've done PR, I've done marketing, um, I've done you know social media, um, and so now like I've just taken all those nuggets of experience and I've applied them. In my role with what I do at Groupfly for yeah. Groupfly Creative, 
Um, and also for, for ways that I do my own branding. Um, so you'll see a lot of those things just kind of, kind of, you know, kind of be attracted to one another and turn into something that's super unique. And I just, I love being like the first person to think about things in a way that I think about it and, and to watch people get excited about that and to see that there's a need for it and to feel the responsibility um, to say, well, if, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Yeah. I, so I, I mean, I got to figure out how to make it happen. And so that's just that's just kind of like where the lane is for me. And I'm, I'm just being able to um, experience so many different challenges. And I'm just like, great. Like, yeah. this is cool. This is a cool new challenge. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. Man. Now, Go Win is it, I, Go Win is being consistent and doing the right things, right, To that allow for you to achieve the wins that you've defined for your life so that you can live out your greatest story. Is, is there a particular win? And I didn't prep you for this, but sure. is there a win that you've defined for yourself and you can share with me just real quick, maybe one or two things you like? Because of these two things, me doing them consistently, I achieved this win. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's an incredible question. And, I mean, <clears throat> like, truth be told, I, I, I've always had a lot of, you know, I've been observant, so I've always had a lot of head knowledge and being able to experience things has allowed me to put together some pretty good assessments of how to how to work things out. But I would say my biggest win has was when – I remember there was one point where I was, man, I was working at a car lot, man. I was working 60 hours a week, you know, sweating it out, man. Really just having a really like hard time with life. I just felt like I just didn't have enough time to, <clears throat> to catch up with family. I was just working so hard. And um, I just remember, man, I started going to counseling. I started seeing a counselor and, um, Man, I quit that. I quit that job and decided to do what I what I thought was going to be just music full time. And everybody's like, "Are you crazy? Like, you can't you can't just drop everything and just go after some. How are you gonna pay your bills? You know, how are you gonna do this?" And man, being obedient in that season has been so rewarding because, like, time and time again, like out of out of no way I could have done it myself. Just and it's not even just provision. It's inspiration. It's purpose. It's like guidance. All of those things have just come naturally to me when I've just been willing to face whatever opportunities each day gives me. I think before I had just been so focused on, you know, the future. This is what I'm. This is my goal. Got to yeah. go reach the goal. Yeah. And I just I felt <laughs> I really felt the Holy Spirit tell me, Hey man, just follow me. Yeah. You know, stop, stop trying to um, lead the way, lead me into your vision. Mm. It doesn't work that way. Mm. I've got plans yeah. for you. I've got things that I need for you to do. Yeah. You know, that, that vision in you that says you have to do it or no one else will. Yeah. Well, I put that in you for a purpose. Now you need to follow me so you can achieve that purpose. And that is, that has been the win. That has been the signature win. Uh, because everything else that has followed it, man, has been, I mean, I look at my life, you know, 12 months ago, 24 months ago, and I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I couldn't have put that goal on a dry erase board. Yeah. I couldn't have said, I want to be 
achieving this goal by this date. I mean, the things that I'm doing now, the things that I had access to now, they they would have seemed unattainable. Yeah. If I were to be able to, you know, call myself uh, from now, right, from sitting right here, right, and then 2018 me answers the phone, and I'm like, hey, Tony, guess what, man? He'd be like, what? I'd be like, man, look, <laughs> in 2021, this is what's about to be happening. You're about to be doing this. These are the conversations you're going to be having. This is what you're going to be talking about. This is who you're going to be with. These, these, this, and I'd be like, click. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's yeah. no way. Yeah. There's no way. There's yeah. no way that's going to happen. Yeah. But like, like, man, it's it's been incredible to see so many things just connect themselves. That's good. <clears throat> and I don't have to do the work on yeah. that end. It just, I'm just obedient. Yeah. And I'm patient. Yeah. And whatever he gives me is what I have. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? No, so. that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Talking about wins, you, you you have a project that you're pretty excited about. Yeah. Can you tell us about that project? Yeah, there's, I mean, so, um, gosh, where do I even begin? So there's a project called Fire in Little Africa um, that will release on May 28th. Mark your calendar for May, for May 28th if this hasn't already, uh, if it hasn't dropped before this podcast drops, which I think, I think you said that this will be. This will be next week. Beautiful. Yeah. So May 28th, um, there is an album dropping called Fire in Little Africa. Um, it's being, that album is being produced by um, the Woody Guthrie Center out of Tulsa. And it has been, um, it has been licensed officially by Motown Records. So Motown Records is um, in conjunction with um, Woody Guthrie Center to create the album, which we recorded a year ago. We recorded it uh, March of 2020, and um, right, right in the midst of COVID, like the beginning of COVID. Man, the we the, the weekend was Thursday to Tuesday. The Wednesday before we left was when the jazz came and shut the shut the city down. So we were everybody was like, "Man, should we still go?" Man, right. so Fire Little Africa almost didn't happen, but it happened, and about oh, about 60 artists came. And they set up, uh, they set up all these remote studios in the Greenwood Cultural Center, um, and in the what what is called Skyline Mansion, but it used to be called the Brady Mansion. Um, I think Tate Brady was his name. He was one of the main instigators of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Oh wow! Um, Felix Jones, NFL running back for the Cowboys from Tulsa, bought that mansion and turned it into what is now called the Skyline Mansion, and we recorded songs all throughout that mansion on a Saturday night and so man throughout that weekend about 140 or so songs yeah. um, they turned it into 140 we, we we made something like I think I think what I heard was 140 plus 140 <clears throat> plus is this like the instrument like music lyrics all yes. this all of us all together um, yeah we wrote that many songs together wow. and so they had to narrow it down to I think the track list is like 21 songs oh my goodness and i don't even know how they did that yeah but your boy appears in about three of them so three of the 21 <laughs> yeah, yeah look at you yeah they i mean i can't even i don't even know how many songs i put things on <laughs> i mean yeah. i, I yeah. might have written to about 10 or 11 of them yeah um but yeah so we're, we're performing a live show on the 24th which if that's next week that might be might be today. If you're listening to this, it might be tomorrow. Um, it'll be a live show in Oklahoma City. 
um, at the April twenty fourth. Uh huh. But the album don't come out until May. Right. Okay. So this will be the premiere of the album. Okay. Um, it's going to be at the uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma Contemporary Arts Museum, which is in Automobile Alley in Oklahoma okay. City. Um, tickets and everything are, are already sold out, man. They sold out within what? like they sold out within like I want to say like five or six hours. Who put this together? Uh, the Woody Guthrie Center did, and wow. they're doing it with a few other sponsors in OKC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, they they released the link, and they were like, "There's VIP tickets for sale, and everything else is free, but you have to reserve the tickets." They came and they came and got them all. <laughs> wow, that's legit. Now, yeah. how many tickets is that? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. I think I, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's on like their North Lawn. I have to double check the flyer. Um, so, and I, I went and scoped out the space because I haven't been to that museum yet. I've only seen it. And um, I'm trying to imagine where on Automobile Alley, yeah. that's Broadway, right? Mm-hmm. So right across from where they're, there's like, they've rebuilt this, what looked like it used to be a parking garage, but it's offices now. And there's a restaurant called like Jimmy B's. And then um, the Tesla thing, they're doing, there's like a Tesla service place on uh you must have been to the to the alley in a minute i have not but been it's, it's slightly north it's in between 13th and, and 10th got you okay that's what i was wondering. okay uh-huh. that's what was gonna be my next question is it yep. is it uh n- what was that north of 10th or south of 10th right. so it's north of 10th it's okay. north on the uh on the east side of the street yes yeah they um, built a couple of new yep. so yeah i know exactly yep. what you're talking about now okay and it looks right awesome across. from the yeah. outside no they look re- it looks really cool yeah. i was wondering what they were right what it was yep. and so okay that's what it is. That's good. Uh, I, so might have that. To, I might have to figure out who I need to call a greet. Yeah, man. Yeah, That's exactly. exactly. See hey, what I I'm saying? You, man. Hey, I got yeah. you, man. I got you. I think, actually, I think JB is hosting. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think he's going to be hosting it. And um, I can get you in contact with yeah. the Fila people, man. Yeah, they, love, yeah. they love to let yeah. you do that. Yeah, that's no, going to be the place cool. to be. That would be real cool. So, and yeah. That's the 24th. I'm trying to think. Am I booked on the 24th? Let me, I'm just looking because I'm going to make this happen. 16th. It's tomorrow. Yeah, 24th. be a Saturday. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I think I'm good. As long as we don't have no tennis tournament. I got a man's break. Yeah, I might have to I might have to go on and show up with that. Yeah, go ahead and pull up, yeah, man. Yeah, I might have to figure out how to get that. That's yeah. cool, man. So that's 24th. First, yeah. well, there's a Instagram and stuff. Because I've seen a mm-hmm. little bit of the, yeah, the action. They've been, uh, they've had a website um, ever since the recording session. They've been doing a podcast, a weekly podcast. Um, they got a couple of podcasts at this point. They've been they've got a merch line with you know hats, hoodies, the whole nine, um, and they've been doing live shows with featuring some of the artists, like two or three artists at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, they do something called Fire Fridays. So they've been they've been kind of building, you know, kind of an infrastructure to where once people get their hands on this album and get to hear it for the first time, there's going to be a lot for people to discover. Um, so. I mean, gosh, man, like the album, the music is insane. Um, the production is incredible. And this really, really has the workings of, you know, like a like a industry, like market defining uh, event. I mean, we, we've talked about, you know, Atlanta. We talked about how Atlanta grew as a hip hop <clears throat> space um, after, you know, Source Awards. Andre 3000 gets up there and says, hey, the South got something to say. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's when, oh, oh, CeeLo Green. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, Dungeon Family. Oh, okay, wow, they they really out here yeah. getting it. And they just they collaborated and had so many projects together. And now we look back at that and it's legendary. Yeah. Same with like LA hip hop man, like Rodney Rodney King, uh sparked NWA, man, you know, telling everybody F the police. And that was that was the move in mm-hmm. LA and a whole culture. I mean, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Dr. Dre. And you think about what's come from Dr. Dre, you know, 50 Cent, Eminem. I mean, you name it. Like that that event in time sparked like a cultural event. And this is another one of those things. I mean, we're talking about a story that Oklahoma has literally locked in the safe and refuses to pull out and tell the real truth about. Um, and, and you want to talk about, you know, ancestors, you know, just descendants of of the people that were in the massacre uh, that lost their lives and that had to flee and that had to relocate or had to, that did their best to stay in that community but were, were terrorized for decades and forced to be silent about what they knew. Um, I mean, a bunch of us young, you know, hip hop and, and rap and R&B guys are about to pop the lid off yeah. and, and, and tell some, some true stories um, that the world has yet to hear. And that's that's going to be dynamic. Uh, in, Which is coming at an incredible time right. because I feel like more and more people are gradually leaning into the history mm-hmm. of that. And then it's the 100th. Yeah, the 100-year right? anniversary. We'll release the album two days prior to the date, the exact mm-hmm. date. Um, and so, man, Was that intentional? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dr. View, his name is, is my boy Stevie. His name is Dr. View. He's been planning this, man. He was my DJ whenever I was doing gigs in the city. I want to say like summer of 2019. And, um, you know, I just I got tired of venues being like, hey, can you sing for three hours? I'm like, no, I'll sing for 45 minutes because that's about as much as any normal person should sing. And I'll have a DJ play. And they're like, all right. (laughs) So I call View up and he's DJing with me. And man, one time after one of these shows in Film Row, he was like, man, I got this idea, man. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I'm going to send you this video. And uh, he sent me the video, and it was like uh, J. Cole had done this like camp with his entire label, all the artists on his label, and they stayed in Atlanta, and you know they rented out like Tree Sound Studios and a couple other ones, and they invited people in, and they did an album. I think they did too, but they did an album called Revenge of the Dreamers, and they did a documentary. So he's like, I want to do that. And I was like, okay, count me in. He's like, but check it out, though. I was like, what's up? I'm going to do it for the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. And just to watch that vision go from him telling me about an idea yeah. to now, like, Motown has picked up the project. Yeah. And we're about to go global at the end of May. It's just like, you know, you can't, like, you can't tell me that anything you know you can't tell me that anything is impossible like i feel like anything is possible yeah and i'm yeah. just like proud to be a part of it proud to be anything's possible to... you put in the work oh absolutely you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i mean and you, if you have the vision to me if you have the vision if you're obedient i mean you know that is the work yeah being obedient is the work yeah i mean and from there you know there's no limit yeah just like i watched him you know tell me what he wanted to do and really draw it out and just getting to communicate with him every step along the way 
and just watching it unfold has just been beautiful, man. That's good. That's good. So somebody who's not into music, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they're not into hip hop. They they may not really understand why we should be excited about this album. Can you talk to those people? Like, yeah. Hey, if you've never gotten <clears throat> excited about something, this is the one. Uh, imagine if, like, man, I'm trying to think of some really famous like clicks, like rap groups, like uh, like Dungeon Family, like Nelly and the Saint Lunatics, like uh, like all of those Houston cats, like Bum B, Pimp C, and that whole like crew. Like, imagine knowing about them before they really hit mainstream. Like, and imagine if. You know, all those guys from that same area put together a project that you could listen to. Um, I think what what we're going to find is that there are a lot of industry-ready artists in Oklahoma, and they're going to take off. Um, And with Fire in Little Africa, you will be able to witness the genesis of, you know, that collective growing, that group of artists really sharing their honest truth but also, it'll be commemorative in the way that this will be the first time anybody is on a massive scale telling the story mm-hmm. of the Tulsa Race Massacre from from where it happened at. Like, we wrote those songs at the Cultural Center. There's a monument outside yeah. with all the with the names of all the businesses yeah. that got destroyed. That's incredible. And I, there's just the inspiration of what we were doing there. It was just you know. It permeated through us. It was just like you could feel it. You could you could feel something. Yeah. Um, with every room that we were creating in, and it was all on purpose, and it was it was magic, man. It was like nothing I've ever experienced. And it was all documented, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. There'll be was, a documentary yeah. that they'll yeah. drop. Um, I don't know the dates on that, but but yeah. So I mean, it'll be a documentary of the filming. Right. It'll be a documentary. Uh, I mean, of the of the recording uh, of the, recording, of the yeah. project. Of yeah. The recording session. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, you know, another thing that it reminds me of in. Um, these all these people are all famous, but people coming together for a particular cause or to promote something that they they believe in is we yeah. are the world, right? We you are know the what world. I'm saying. Yep. So uh, you all may not all be Michael Jackson right. and all these people who had blown up, mm-hmm. but these people came together and spent time together yeah. to create something to say, you know what, we want the world to yeah. to identify with this and understand this. For sure. And when I hear this. Y'all aren't these people at this status, yeah. but you're people who have a heart mm-hmm. and want to tell a story right. to get something out there, yeah. uh, which is which is awesome and legit. And, and also, I mean, the 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 real part of it is that the the state of Oklahoma has a lot of gatekeepers. There are a lot of um, people that, in order to get a message out, it has to go through certain channels. Um, or else it, it might not go very far. <clears throat> you you might have to work your way around it. It may take a long time to materialize. But with this, um, gosh, like I, I just feel like I feel like you know Motown, Detroit, <laughs> you know Hitsville, USA. You know the spirit of Michael Jackson and Stevie yeah, Wonder. Yeah. And they just grabbed this project and lifted it up out of Oklahoma past. All of the people who would try to stop it, yeah, and they're just gonna give it. They're yeah. just gonna give it to the whole world. Yeah, we, we about to we about to give it to them yeah. too, bro. That's legit. No, <laughs> that's to, really legit. About to really give it to that's, them. That's that's really good. Well, I'm excited about it, man. Oh, yeah. T- tell me this: When did you fall in love with hip hop? If, if, if that's a, is yeah, that a fair yeah. question? When, yeah, for what, sure. what happened? 
I mean, I, I grew up on the north side, and all of my cousins grew up on the east side, so they got to listen to, like, they, they I don't know, man. They they seem to know all the songs. When I would come over to my auntie's house on Sundays, they knew all the songs. I didn't know none of the songs. I'm like, how am I missing out on all the music, man? So when I was when I was a teenager, I tapped into more stuff that I was like, okay, I'm kind of feeling that, you know, I'm kind of understanding the vibe, and I'm kind of feeling like this you know, this kind of stuff really resonates with me. And one of the first albums uh, was was Kanye West, Late Registration. Okay. Um, and, and, and the dropout, high school dropout, or college dropout, not high school dropout, college dropout. Um, those songs, man, I just can remember me and my boy Jordan riding around in his, uh, his you know, 89 Buick. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? With the, with the, with the loose seats. With the buckle that had the uh, the metal clasp, yeah, that clack, clack. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> man, just riding around bumping that Kanye album, and and then shortly, you know, in that time frame, kind of in before and after, <coughs> Outcast had done a lot, man, and Andre Three Thousand, man, he was such a lyricist, but so musical, like such a musician, um, and I just remember identifying with that vibe, and and that was just kind of what I wanted to hear, but then, like. Drake dropped and he was singing and rapping at the same time. And it was like, wait a minute, is he really singing or is he kind of singing? Wait, we don't know how to handle this. We don't know what's going on. And so now they call it melodic rap, you know, and, and that's like a whole genre now. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a genre. I called, didn't know that. Yeah, you can get a melodic rap Grammy now. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. So does the song have to help be completely whatever that is? I don't know the details yet. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta see I'm one giving out. Did I tell you? Going on. Did I tell you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so is so is Drake and Kanye in your top ten? Uh, yeah, for sure. Did you see? Yeah. Did you see on Facebook we were talking about top ten? Yeah, I saw. I saw that. I saw that. Um, and I started to comment, but I was like, man, I'm not really a hip hop head like that. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not willing to go to bat for. For uh, for what number somebody's at? Like, so is that serious for you, huh? That's, hey, that. I think that's serious. That's more serious than us doing it. <laughs> right, like, yeah, no, I, I'm not yeah, gonna take yeah, a. Because then somebody be like, man, how you gonna put reasonable doubt over? I'm like, the black album. Come on, man, what the black album? Are you kidding me? Jay Z is the goat. I'm like, hey, they okay. were doing that, and then All you right. got people who, which I don't understand, people made their top ten rock albums. <laughs> Like, take all of them off and let's put yeah. 10. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. Paul and Oates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Somebody okay. made a top 10 gospel. <laughs> you know, people just be going there on social media. I love it. I just yeah. love it. So uh, some people messaged me because they didn't want people to see who they're. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, yeah. They was yeah, just worried, somebody. Yeah, they was worried. Yeah, you know. I'm like, come on. It ain't like, that serious, folks. Don't tell nobody. But yeah. You know I don't saying. even listen to rap right now in my life. But <laughs> I still had don't a top 10. Don't tell nobody, 10. but 3-6 Mafia <laughs> My number two. <laughs> yeah. You know, they serious like you. Juicy J you, is that guy. You don't know, but Juicy J, he owns a barbecue Juicy. restaurant. You don't know about Juicy J. Bro, okay. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. telling you, I met him, man. I was at a show in Phoenix. All right, man. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. It's okay. It's okay. It's not life or death. Yeah. So, <laughs> man, tell people how they can find you, man. Man, um... Tony Foster Jr., man, it's, I mean, I do, I, I try to be very uh, intentional about making sure that everything's in one place, so if you Google Tony Foster Jr., the first several results be my Instagram, uh, my Facebook, 
um, a few totally irrelevant videos that are on YouTube, but they're there. So yeah. you can get on there and Come on. Get see some stuff. Um, and then the website is tfjbrand.com. So it has the music, but it also is kind of a one-stop hub for everything that is me. Um, so the music catalog, the merch, um, the calendar, ways that you can, you know, be a part um, are all are all on, on tfjbrand.com. That's legit, man. Yeah, man. Man, I appreciate you making your trip to uh, the great Guthrie, America. Yeah, man. I think across the street, man, I think I got a superintendent's award of excellence at this building right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. There's a picture he, of me pointing, and some lady. He's Jeez. pointing to the Masonic Temple. If you're, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the Masonic Temple I live now people don't know where I live at. <laughs> I no, have to cut that. Like I'm, like I'm famous or something that people. He live at 2918. <laughs> <laughs> Come get him and his family. Come get him and his family. Uh, yeah, no, the Masonic Ooh, Temple, which is a, which is uh, one of those buildings. Like you have people be like, man, for real. Mm-hmm. And then you have people be like, man, that building is incredible. Like if you go inside, like if you can appreciate yeah. architect and. All that stuff. That's what like, made it memorable yeah, to me. Is yeah. being in there, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty." Incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Like if you build something like that today, can you imagine that? Right. Yeah, the cost, the money. Of the yeah. So, yeah, no, it's cool, cool, cool. They don't make them like that no more. They don't make them like that no more. <laughs> they they definitely don't. Even though people make more more money now, they don't yeah. make stuff like that. Concrete now. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the price of it. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so, no, no, no. Thank you. The wife is in the room, y'all. Jackie is in the room chilling. Yes, she. The manager. Looking good. The manager. (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all both so much, and uh, I deeply appreciate appreciate y'all coming. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for hitting that play button for another episode of the Hetty Coleman Podcast. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, as always, go win.